Hey guys, time for the last installment of this podcast where we're going to read chapters 30 and 31. I'm so excited to finish this book with you guys and get everything all wrapped up and done. Yesterday, the big climax happened. We had in chapter 28, we had the pageant where they were on their way home and they got attacked by, we found out it was Bob Yule. Um, Bob Yule broke Jim's arm and almost killed Scout. If it wasn't for the ham costume, Scout would have been dead. Um, Then we had someone come in and save the day. We don't know who it was, but whoever it was, they, well, we did in that chapter, but whoever it was, they killed, um, he killed Bob Yule, sorry. And, um, that is how that chapter ended. Um, in chapter 29, we found out, we got Scout's testimony of what happened um, we found out that Jim is okay. His arm is just broken, but he is going to be okay. Um, it's broken at the elbow, so it's going to be a pretty bad break. Um, Sheriff Tate came over and listened to, to what everything that happened, but he also said that um, he also told Atticus about Bob Yule being dead. And then at the end, we found out the person that saved them was, in fact, Boo Radley, um, which I thought was really poetic and really exciting. Um, but Boo Radley did murder Bob Yule, so... Now we've got to figure out what's going to happen to poor Boo. All right. So chapter 30 is on page 271. Don't forget to take notes. And here we go. Mr. Arthur, honey. It's Vaticus gently correcting me. Jean Louise, this is Mr. Arthur Radley. I believe he already knows you. If Atticus could blandly introduce me to Boo Radley at a time like this, well, that was Atticus. Boo saw me, saw me run instinctively to the bed where Jim was sleeping for the same shy smile crept across his face. Hot with embarrassment, I tried to cover up by covering Jim up. Uh, uh, don't touch him, Atticus said. Mr. Hectate sat looking intently at Boo through his horn-rimmed glasses. He was about to speak when Dr. Reynolds came down the hall. Everybody out, he said, as he came in the door. Every evening, Arthur. Didn't notice you the first time I was here. Dr. Reynolds' voice was breezy as he stepped, as though he had said it every evening of his life an announcement that astounded me even more than being in the same room with Boo Radley. Of course, even Boo Radley got sick sometimes, I thought. But on the other hand, I wasn't sure. Dr. Reynolds was carrying a big package wrapped in newspaper. He put it down on Jem's desk and took off his coat. You're quite satisfied he's alive now? Tell you how I knew. When I tried to examine him, he kicked me. Had to put him out good and proper to touch him. So scat, he said to me. Er, said Atticus, glancing at Boo. Heck, let's go out on the front porch. There are plenty of chairs out there, and it's still warm enough. I wondered why Atticus was inviting us to the front porch instead of the living room. Then I understood. The living room lights were awfully strong. We filed out. First, Mr. Tate. Atticus was waiting at the door for him to go ahead of him. Then he changed his mind and followed Mr. Tate. People have a habit of doing everyday things, even under the oddest condition. I was no exception. Come along, Mr. Arthur, I heard myself saying. You don't know the house real well. I'll just take you to the porch, sir. He looked down at me and nodded. I led him through the hall and past the living room. Won't you have a seat, Mr. Arthur? This rocking chair is nice and comfortable. My small fantasy about him was alive again. He wouldn't be sitting on the porch. Right pretty spell we're having, isn't it, Mr. Arthur? Yes, a right pretty spell. Feeling slightly unreal, I led him to the chair farthest from Atticus and Mr. Tate. It was, a deep, it was in deep shadow. Boo would feel more comfortable in this dark. Atticus was sitting in the swing, and Mr. Tate was in the chair next to him. The light from the living room windows was strong on them. I sat beside Boo. Well, heck, Atticus was saying, I guess the thing to do... Good Lord, I'm losing my memory. Atticus pushed up his glasses and pressed his fingers to his eyes. 
Jim's not quite 13. No, he's already 13. I can't remember. Anyway, it'll come before county court. What will Mr. Finch? Mr. Tate uncrossed his legs and leaned forward. Well, of course it was clear-cut self-defense, but I'll have to go to the office and hunt up Mr. Finch. Do you think Jim killed Bob Yule? Do you think that? You heard what Scout said. There's no doubt about it. She said Jim got up and yanked him off her. He probably got hold of Mr. Yule's knife somehow in the dark. We'll find out tomorrow. And Mr. Finch, hold on, said Mr. Tate. Jim never stabbed Bob Yule. Atticus was silent for a moment. He looked at Mr. Tate as if he appreciated what he said, but Atticus shook his head. Heck, it's mighty kind of you, and I know you're doing it from the good heart of yours, that good heart of yours, but don't start anything like that. Mr. Tate got up and went to the edge of the porch. He spat into the shrubbery, then thrust his hands into his hip pockets and faced Atticus. Like what, he said. Well, I'm sorry if I spoke, spoke sharply, heck, Atticus said simply, but nobody's hushing this up. I don't live that way. Nobody's going to hush anything up, Mr. Finch. Mr. Tate's voice was quiet but his boots were planted so solidly on the porch floorboards, it seemed that they grew there. A curious contest, the nature of which eluded me, was developing between my father and the sheriff. It was Atticus's turn to get up and go to the edge of the porch. He said, hmm, and spat dryly into the yard. He put his hands in his pockets and faced Mr. Tate. Heck, you haven't said it, but I know what you're thinking. Thank you for it. Jean Louise, he turned to me. You said Jim yanked Mr. Yule off you. Yes, sir. That's what I thought I... See there, Heck? Thank you from the bottom of my heart, but I don't want my boy starting out with something like this over his head. Best way to clear the air is to have it all out in the open. Let the county come and bring sandwiches. I don't want him growing up with a whisper about him. I don't want anybody saying, Jim Finch, his daddy paid a mint to get him out of that. Sooner, we're, sooner we get over this, with the better. Mr. Finch, Mr. Tate says dolly, Bob Yule fell on his knife. He killed himself. Atticus walked to the corner of the porch. He looked at the wisteria vine. In his own way, I thought, each was as stubborn as the other. I wondered who would give in first. Atticus's stubbornness was quiet and rarely evident, but in some ways he was as set as the Cunninghams. Mr. Tate's was unschooled and blunt, but it was equal to my father's. Heck, Atticus's back was turned. If this thing's hushed up, it'll be a simple denial to Jim of the way I've tried to raise him. Sometimes I think I'm a total failure as a parent, but I'm all they've got. Before Jim looks at anyone else, he looks at me. And I've tried to live so I can look squarely back at him. If I've connived at something like this, frankly, I couldn't meet his eye. And the day I can't do that, I know I'll, lost, I'll know I've lost him. I don't want to lose him and Scout because they're all I've got. Mr. Finch. Mr. Tate was still planted into the floorboards. Bob Ewell fell on his knife. I can prove it. Atticus wheeled around. His hands dug into his pockets. Heck, can't you even try to see it my way? You've got children of your own, but I'm older than you. When mine are grown, I'll be an old man if I'm still around. But right now, if I'm, if they don't trust me, they won't trust anybody. Jim and Scout know what happened. If they hear me saying downtown something different happened, heck, I won't have them anymore. I can't live one way in town or another way in my home. Mr. Tate rocked on his heels and said patiently, he'd flung Jim down. He'd stumble over the root that, under that tree and look, I can show you. Mr. Tate reached his, in his side pocket and withdrew a long switchblade knife. As he did so, Dr. Reynolds came to the door. The sun deceased under that tree, doctor, just inside the schoolyard. Got a flashlight? Better have this one. I can ease around and turn my car lights on, said Dr. Reynolds, but he took Mr. Tate's flashlight. Jim's all right. He won't wake up tonight, I hope, so don't worry. That the knife that killed him, heck? No, sir. Still in him. 
looked at the kitchen knife from the handle. Cannot a looked like a kitchen knife from the handle. Cannot a be there with a, a hearse by now, Doctor Knight. Mister Tate flicked open the knife. It was like this, he said. He held the knife and pretended to stumble. As he leaned forward, his left arm went down in front of him. See there? Stabbed himself through that soft stuff between his ribs. His whole weight drove it in. Mr. Tate closed the knife and jammed it back in his pocket. Scout is eight years old, he said. She was too scared to know exactly what went on. You'd be surprised, Atticus said grimly. I'm not saying she made it up. I'm saying she was too scared to know exactly what happened. It was mighty dark out there, black as ink. And somebody take and take somebody mighty used to the dark to make a comp competent witness. I won't have it, Atticus said softly. Gosh darn it, I'm not thinking of Jim. Mr. Tate's boot hit the floorboard so hard it, the lights in Miss Maudie's bedroom went on. Miss Stephanie Crawford's light went on. Atticus and Mr. Tate looked across the street, then at each other. Then they waited. When Mr. Tate spoke again, his voice was barely audible. Mr. Finch, I hate to fight you when you're like this. You've been under a strain tonight no man should ever have to go through. Why you ain't in the bed from it, I don't know. But I do know that for once you haven't been able to put two and two together. And we've got to settle this tonight because tomorrow it'll be too late. Bob Ewell's got a kitchen knife in his craw. Mr. Tate added that Atticus wasn't going to stand there and maintain that any boy's gem, boy gem size with a busted arm had fight enough left in him to tackle and kill a grown man in the pitch dark. Heck, said Atticus abruptly, that was a switchblade you're waving. Where'd you get it? Took it off a drunk man, Mr. Tate answered coolly. I was trying to remember Mr. Ewell was on me. Then he went down. Jem must have gotten up, at least I thought. Heck, I said I took it off the drunk man downtown tonight. You will probably found that kitchen knife in the dump somewhere. Honed it down and bided his time. Just bided his time. Atticus made his way to the swing and sat down. His hands dangled limply between his knees. He was looking at the floor. He had moved with the same slowness that night at the front of the jail, when I thought it took him forever to fold his newspaper and toss it in his chair. Mr. Tate clumped softly around the porch. It ain't your decision, Mr. Finch. It's all mine. It's my decision and my responsibility. For once... If you don't see it my way, there's not much you can do about it. If you want to try, I'll call you a liar to your face. Your boy never stabbed Bob Ewell, he said slowly. Didn't come near a mile of it, and now you know it. All he wanted to do was get him and his sister safely home. Mr. Tate stopped pacing. He stopped in front of Atticus, and his back was to us. I'm not a very good man, sir, but I am sheriff of Macomb County. Lived in this town all my life, and I'm going on 43 years old. Know everything that's happened here since before I was born. There's a black boy dead for no reason, and the man responsible for it is dead. Let the dead bury the dead this time, Mr. Finch. Let the dead bury the dead. Mr. Tate went to the swing and picked up his hat. It was laying bes lying beside Atticus. Mr. Tate pushed back his chair and put his hat on. I never heard tell that it's against the law for a citizen to do his utmost to prevent a crime from being committed, which is exactly what he did. But maybe you'll say it's my duty to tell the town all about it and not hush it up. Know what happened then? All the ladies in Macomb, including my wife, would be knocking on his door, bringing angel food cakes. To my way of thinking, Mr. Finch, taking the one man who's done you and this town a great service and dragging him with his shy ways into the limelight. To me, that's a sin. It's a sin, and I'm not about to have it on my head. If it was any other man, it'd be different, but not this man, Mr. Finch. I don't know if you guys have picked up on this yet, but they're talking about Boo. Boo is the one who probably stabbed Bob Yule, and they don't want to call him a hero because people start bringing him angel food cakes and you know making him this big deal he's he's kind of a shy into himself introvert and to do that would be a disservice to him or he could also get 
he could if if they find out that he killed Bob Yule, he could also have to go to court for for murder. Mr. Tate was trying to dig a hole in the floor with his toe of his boot. He pulled his nose, then he massaged his left arm. I may not be much, Mr. Finch, but I'm still sheriff of Macomb County, and Bob Yule fell on his knife. Good night, sir. Mr. Tate stamped off the porch and strode across the front yard. His car door slammed and he drove away. Atticus sat looking at the floor for a long time. Finally, he raised his head. Scout, he said, Mr. Yule fell on his knife. Can you possibly understand? Atticus looked like he needed cheering up. I ran to him and hugged him and kissed him with all my might. Yes, sir, I understand, I reassured him. Mr. Tate was right. Atticus disengaged himself and looked at me. What do you mean? Well, it'd be sort of like shooting a mockingbird, wouldn't it? Atticus put his face in my hair and rubbed it. When he got up and walked across the porch into the shadows, his youthful step had returned. Before he went inside the house, he stopped in front of Boo Radley. Thank you for my children, Arthur, he said. All right, so that's the end of chapter 30. We're going to have 31 here. Um, quick question for you to think about and ponder. Is what Tate did the correct thing to do? Is saying that Bob Yule died by falling on his own knife the right thing? I mean... Maybe Boo Radley needs a new new reputation as a hero, or maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Um, what do you guys think about scout, scouts? Um, will it be sort of like shooting a mockingbird claim? And is Boo Radley the mockingbird in the story? Is Tom Robinson the mockingbird? Lots of good questions here. All right. Chapter 31, last chapter. Here we go. Page 277. When Boo Radley shuffled to his feet, light from the living room windows glistened on his forehead. Every move he made was uncertain, as if he were not sure his hands and feet could make proper contact with the things he touched. He coughed his dreadful railing cough and was so shaken he had to sit down again. His hand searched for his hip pocket and he pulled out a handkerchief. He coughed into it, then he wiped his forehead. Having been so accustomed to his absence, I found it incredible that he had been sitting beside me all this time present. He had not made a sound. Once more, he got to his feet. He turned to me and nodded toward the front door. You'd like to say goodnight to Jem, wouldn't you, Mr. Arthur? Come right in. I led him down the hall, and Alexandra was sitting by Jem's bed. Come in, Arthur, she said. He's still asleep. Dr. Reynolds gave him a heavy sedative. Jean Louise, is, this, is your father in the living room? Well, yes, ma'am, I think so. I'll just go speak to him a minute. Dr. Reynolds left some... Her voice trailed away. Boo had drifted to a corner of the room where, I, where he stood with his chin up, peering from a distance at Jim. I took him by the hand and surprisingly warm, a hand surprisingly warm for its whiteness. I tugged him a little, and he allowed me to lead him to Jim's bed. Dr. Reynolds had made a tent-like arrangement over Jim's arm to keep a cover off, I guess, and Boo leaned forward and looked over it. An expression of timid curiosity was on his face, as though he had never seen a boy before. His mouth was slightly open, and he looked at Jim from head to foot. Boo's hand came up, but he let it drop to his side. You can pet him, Mr. Arthur. He's asleep. You couldn't if he was awake, though. He wouldn't let you. I found myself explaining. Go ahead. Boo's hand hovered over Jem's head. Go on, sir. He's asleep. His hand came down lightly on Jem's hair. I was beginning to learn his body in English. <clears throat> his hand tightened on mine, and he indicated that he wanted to leave. I led him to the front porch, where his uneasy steps halted. He was still holding my hand, and he gave no sign of letting me go. Will you take me home? He almost whispered it, in the voice of a child afraid of the dark. I put my foot on the top step and stopped. I would lead him through our house, but I would never lead him home. 
Mr. Arthur, bend your arm down here, like that. That's right, sir. I slipped my hand into the crook of his arm. He had to stoop a little to accommodate me, but if Miss Stephanie Crawford is watching from her upstairs window, she would see Arthur Radley escorting me down the sidewalk, as any gentleman would do. We came to the streetlight corner, and I wondered how many times Dill had stood there hugging that fat pole, watching, waiting, and hoping. I wondered how many times Jim and I had made this journey, but I entered the Radley front gate for the second time in my life. Boo and I walked up the steps to the front to the porch. His fingers found the doorknob. He re gently released my hand, opened the door, went inside, and shut the door behind him. I never saw him again. Neighbors bring food with death and flowers with sickness and little things in between. Boo is our neighbor. He gave us two soap dolls, a broken watch and chain, a pair of good luck pennies, and our lives. But neighbors, neighbors give in return. We never put back into the tree what we took out of it. We, ne we had given him nothing. It made me sad. I turned to go home. Streetlights winked down the street all the way to town. I had never seen our neighborhood from this angle. There were Miss Maudie's, Miss Stephanie's. There was our house. I could see the porch swing. Miss Rachel's house was beyond us, plainly visible. I could even see Mrs. Dubose's. I looked behind me. To the left of the brown door was a long shuttered window. I walked to it, stood in front of it, and turned around. In daylight, I thought you could see to the post office corner. Daylight. In my mind, the night faded. It was daytime and the neighborhood was busy. Miss Stephanie Crawford crossed the street to tell the latest to Miss Rachel. Miss Maudie bent over her azaleas. It was summertime and two children scampered down the sidewalk toward a man approaching in the distance. The man waved and the children raced up each other to him. It was still summertime and the children came closer. A boy trudged down the sidewalk dragging a fishing pole behind him. A man stood waiting with his hands on his hips. Summertime and his children played in the front yard with their friend, enacting a strange little drama of their own invention. It was fall and his children fought on the sidewalk in front of Mrs. DeBose's. The boy helped his sister to her feet and they made their way home. Fall and his children trotted to and fro around the corner, the day's woes and triumphs on their faces. They stopped at an oak tree, delighted, puzzled, and apprehensive. Winter and his children shivered at the front gate, silhouetted against a blazing house. Winter and a man walked into the street, dropped his glasses, and shot a dog. Summer, and he watched his children heartbreak. children's heartbreak, autumn again, and Boo's children needed him. Atticus was right. One time he said, you never really know a man until you stand in his shoes and walk around in them. Just standing on the Radley porch was enough. The streetlights were fuzzy from the fine rain that was falling. As I made my way home, I felt very old. But when I looked at the tip of my nose, I could see fine misty beads. But looking cross-eyed made me dizzy, so I quit. As I made my way home, I thought what a thing to tell Jim tomorrow. He'd be so mad he missed it he wouldn't speak to me for days. As I made my way home, I thought Jim and I would get grown, but there wasn't much else left for us to learn except possibly algebra. I ran up the steps and into the house, and Alexandra had gone to bed and Atticus's room was dark. I would see if Jem might be reviving. Atticus was in Jem's room, sitting at his bed. He was reading a book. Is Jem awake yet? Sleeping peacefully. He won't be awake until morning. Oh, are you sitting up with him? Just for an hour or so. Go to bed, Scout. You've had a long day. Well, I think I'll stay with you for a while. Suit yourself, said Atticus. It must have been mid-afternoon. It must have been after midnight, and I was puzzled by his amiable acquiescence. He was shrewder than I, however. The moment I sat down, I began to feel sleepy. What you reading? I asked. Atticus turned the book over. Something of gems called The Grey Ghost. I was suddenly awake. Why'd you get that one? Honey, I don't know. I just picked it up. One of the few things I haven't read, he said pointedly. Read it out loud, please, Atticus. It's real scary. 
No, he said, you've had enough scaring for a while. This is too... Atticus, I wasn't scared. He raised his eyebrows and I protested. Leastways, not until I started telling Mr. Tate about it. Jim wasn't scared. Asked him and he said he wasn't. Besides, nothing's really scary except in books. Atticus opened his mouth to say something, but shut it again. He took his thumb from the middle of the book and turned back to the first page. I moved over and leaned my head against his knee. Hmm, he said. The Grey Ghost by Secretary Hawkins, Chapter 1. I willed myself to stay awake, but the rain was so soft, and the room was so warm, and his voice was so deep, and his knee was so snug that I slept. Seconds later, it seemed, his shoe was gently nudging my ribs. He lifted me to my feet and walked me to my room. Heard every word you said, I muttered. Wasn't sleep at all. It's about to ship and... Three-fingered Fred and Stoner's boy. He unhooked my overalls, leaned me against him, and pulled them off. He held me up with one hand and reached for my pajamas with the other. Yeah, and they all thought it was Stoner's boy messed up their clubhouse and throwing ink all over it. And he guided me to the bed and sat me down. He lifted my legs and put me under the covers. And they chased him and never could catch him, because they didn't know what he looked like. And Atticus, when they finally saw him... Why, he hadn't done any of those things. Atticus, he was real nice. His hands were under my chin, pulling up the cover, tucking it around me. Most people are, Scout, when you finally see them. He turned out the light and went into Jim's room. He would be there all night, and he would be there when Jim waked up in the morning. The end. I love the ending there where, he's, where, where she starts switches talking about the gray ghost to talking about Boo again. And then he says, most people are nice when you finally see them. And I think that's a, an allusion back to that quote again about looking at people from their point of view, looking at people from their perspective and learning something about them. I think we can all learn a lesson from that. All right, guys, that's the end of the book. I hope you enjoyed it. I think it's a great story. I hope it sticks with you forever. Um, don't forget to answer the part four questions and get those turned in by Wednesday at midnight. I love you and I'll see you on Zoom.